Hello and welcome again to An Employer's Guide to Australian Employment Law. Um, this is podcast number four for us um, and we're going to discuss uh, the recent High Court decision of Comcare and Barnergy, um, which was last week, 2019, um, in the High Court of Australia, um, which centred around, and you might have been following it, the social media use by employees. Um, We've introduced the podcast before. Basically, this is just a discussion of, of employment law, um, that things are either in the media or things that have, have started in our book, The Employer's Guide to Australian Employment Law, and, and we've either had a request or we've just decided to, to discuss the matters even further. So any more information, you can look at our other podcasts on the channel or you can um, give us a call if you would like a copy of the book. It's also available on our webpage. So um, really just to kick things off, um, this centres around the implied freedom of political communication. So, Jake, do you want to talk about what what that is? Yeah, thanks, Brian. So, I mean, sort of as Brian's just said, the, the recent High Court case um, considered this implied freedom that we have um, in the constitution of political communication. Um, so it was first recognised by the High Court in the 90s. Um, Section 7 and 24 of the Constitution provide that uh, members of the Senate and the House of Representatives shall be directly chosen by the people. Uh, So in other words, from that, the High Court recognised that the Constitution provides for uh, a responsible and representative system of government. Um, And so therefore, the the freedom to discuss political and government matters, um, because that's sort of indispensable to those systems of government, there's this implied right. And I want to just underline that word implied there too because it's something that often is misunderstood, especially when we hear a lot about the um, the US Constitution when they have these express rights. Yep. Really an implied right, if you, if you read the section 7 and 24, it, it doesn't appear to give any rights at all. It just talks about the way that government's organised, but the High Court has actually read into that, this implication, which always makes it relatively contentious yeah so well I guess it's the the, wor- the the wording shall be directly chosen by the people and sort of the, the implication flowing from that um, and and what that involves um, so yeah so the 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 high court case Comcare and Benergy uh, involved a public servant who was employed in the Department of Immigration and Citizenship um, as it then was Sorry, uh, and she tweeted with the handle la legale I think that's how you pronounce that. But um, and was she was often pretty critical of her own department, um, some of her colleagues in the department, the policies of the department, um, the the government and uh, opposition policies, um, and also members of parliament. So I mean, she was pretty critical of almost sort of everything to do with her job, um, and she made over nine thousand tweets uh, on this Twitter account. So, a, as a public servant, she was bound so by... she tweeted... I, I read that as retweets. She actually made 9,000 different tweets. Yes. Right. I'm not sure. I haven't How did she find time to actually reviewed. do her job? Or is that... That's probably a separate issue. Oh, that's just her total tweets on her account. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think only one of those was actually during work time. Um, right. And the 8,999 yeah. other tweets okay. were outside of work. All right. right. Fair enough. Yes. It wasn't a performance issue in that no. regard. No. But um, so because she was a public servant, she was bound by the Australian Public Service Code of Conduct, and that's contained in Section 13 of the Public Service Act, 1999, Commonwealth. 
Um, and this required her to take reasonable steps to avoid any conflicts of interest uh, in connection with her employment uh, and that she must uphold the integrity and good reputation of her agency and also the APS as a whole. Um, so section 15 of the Public Service Act allowed for sanctions against public servants who were found to have breached the code of conduct uh, and that included up to uh, the termination of her employment. Um, and that was exactly what happened. Her employment was terminated uh, in September 2013 um, and her dismissal was first considered by the Administrative Appeals Tribunal um, which found that the APS Code of Conduct um, in Section 13 of the Public Service Act did trespass on, her, on the implied freedom of political communication so that was then considered by the High Court. So because it involved a constitutional matter, which is the um, implied freedom of political communication, the High Court had original jurisdiction to um, consider uh, the decision of the AAT. Uh, and it held that the AAT had approached the matter wrongly, as the implied freedom is not an individual right, uh, but restricts the powers of the Parliament and the Executive. So the High Court... Um, provided that the correct approach was to consider whether the code of conduct in section 13 uh, imposed on the implied freedom uh, and the High Court held um, that it was uh, section 13 and the code of conduct was consistent with the representative and responsible government and it didn't impose an unjustifiable burden on the implied freedom um, so therefore the um, application before it by the public servant Banerjee was dismissed um, so Helen and Brian what do, what do you think about the, the decision I think um, it's a very uh, sound decision in yeah, my I'm opinion happy with it. Yeah. Um, it's important though to understand that it's not going to be um, carte blanche for private sector employers to terminate anyone that makes a tweet in relation to um, their businesses. Separate issues will apply in relation to this. It's very important to remember that if you are employed by the federal government, for example, um, the federal government is your employer and obligation, and, and that means that you don't criticise your employer. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to realise how narrow these circumstances are. We're yeah. talking about a, a very specific um, code of conduct for Australian public service employees and whether that is or isn't you know, unconstitutional and it, yeah, it certainly is not as um, significant for the employment uh, you know, community as, as it's sort of being held out to be. Um, but, I, but I do think you know, one of the things that it, and we're going to talk more about social media generally, but, but, but I think one of these interesting things is that we've really only had, it's only been a decade since we've been able to just tweet out our innermost thoughts. Mm. Um, technologically, and, and, and it has brought a lot of these interesting things to the surface because people sort of say, okay, well, I have a right, I, ha I have a right to have think whatever I think or say whatever I think and, and all the rest of it. We've really never had a right to, to publicise. Well, we've never really had this as a, as a capability before, so the whole issue of whether or not it's a right is an interesting one. There's one thing, well, you've sort of both said that you think that the decision was correct, but I suppose that's on the way that um, the law and the constitution are at the moment. So it potentially, you know, poses a, another question of, you know, should we have this um, 
freedom of speech sort of similar and uh, and a bill of rights similar to other Western democracies? Well, I think it's, as um, Brian said, it's very important to understand that it is limited in its application. Uh, the pe- the commentators have said this has implications for the Israel Folau case are of course absolutely incorrect. It has got nothing to do with matters yeah, like yeah. the Israel Folau case. It's very much limited to a si- situations involving um, uh, public servants, and it's very much limited by the way that the people who were advising this particular public servant decided to take her case, yeah, that's um, right. rather than in an unfair dismissal context or anything such as that. Um, In relation to uh, should the law change to give more protection, um, that's something where people are going to be very divided in their views. I personally think that if you are taking, um, if you choose to be employed or continue to be employed by a particular employer, be it the federal government or any other employer where um, that will restrict what you can do. That's it. I think you, if, I, you, if you're yeah. going to have a public service job to a certain degree, you've just got to suck it up and yeah. be prepared to toe yeah. the party line. You sort of you know, know what you're getting yourself into. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and whilst it might, um, if, if you're employed by a public, a private sector employer, it's going to restrict your ability to criticise that employer publicly, including on Twitter, no question. If you um, are employed by a, fu- a federal uh, or state public sector employer, it is going to restrict your ability to criticise that employer. The fact that that might also be seen by you incorrectly, in, in, if it legally, but also morally, in my view, as limiting your political right of free speech, well, too bad. That's well, that's right, and that's what I, when I, where I was coming from when I, when I was suggesting that it's uh, the the real issue is is going to be about. Um, is the fact that we just haven't the, the capacity to be critical of our employer just while you're sitting on the sofa at home if you do happen to have to be publicly critical thousands of followers it, it is enhanced so much in today's society that that really has this ever been a right that we've considered before but did people do that did people write a letter to the Sydney Morning Herald criticizing their employer in 1995. In the letters section. They didn't yeah. do it. You, you know, you'd, you'd have a casual comment in the pub to, to your close friends. And I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, it's the same as talking in the pub. Well, it's not. Well, I think that was that critical decision. And I yeah. think it was from memory, I'm not 100% sure, Jake O'Brien might remember the good guys case, but about 10 years ago, where that, in fact, argument was made. Yeah. It's similar to a uh, discussion in the pub. And the commission said, no, it's not. Yeah. Because it's public. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that has never been um, wavered from by any court or commission, yeah. or most, in my view, people in the employment law world. Yeah, but I mean, does, well, you know, let's talk about. It. I mean, I, I know we talked about how um, narrow that is, but I mean, how is it in the private sector, Helen? I mean, what's your, you know, the, there was a lot of people saying that employees should be able to do whatever they want yeah. outside of work, outside of work hours. Well, for most, I think it's important always um, to look at what is the legal context you're dealing with. And in the um, private sector, in most cases, you've got the right to terminate on notice. And the big factor with um, social media becomes the issue of um, uh, unfair dismissal. So an employer has to have um, a valid reason for the dismissal of an employee. So the first question is, is, before you even get into the myriad of issues about harshness, etc., and procedural fairness, but the first issue is, do you have a valid reason? And basically, 
the cases have shown that to have a valid reason, there has to be some link between your workplace and what you've done in social media. Obviously, the most obvious would be if you're making the tweets while you're employed, actually during the working hours. But the other one is, um, and the test was set out in Rose versus Telstra Corporation back in 1998, which looks at what the extent to which conduct outside of work can provide a valid reason for termination, and it applies absolutely to social media posts today. Does it have the impact to damage the relationship between the employee and the employer? Does it have the ability to damage the employer's interests? And is it incompatible with the employee's duty as an employee? So, I mean, I think if... Because we've sort of made the distinction that, um, obviously, Miss um, Banerjee was a um, public servant employee. But if she was in the private sector, and I think if you were to apply sort of the test that Helen just went through, I think, you know, most people would probably say there is a valid reason for dismissal. She had made an anonymous Twitter account and literally savaged her her colleagues, her boss, um, you know, the work that they were doing. Um, it, it'd sort of be hard after that once um, sort of it was found out that it was her that was making the posts um, for I, any sort of relationship to be ongoing I between think, her and the employer. I think there is an absolutely would have been a valid reason for termination in that particular case if it had been an unfair dismissal. And one of the things, and I suppose this is why I get a bit... Um, I feel a bit passionately about some of these uh, government matters where employees object to tweeting about um, things in relation to their government role. If you feel that badly about what you're doing, you shouldn't be employed anyway. You should take a stand and quit. That's my personal <laughs> role. You shouldn't expect to sit there and still get your job and make a political statement from within the job. Just my, my personal view. But I think it's... it's No, absolutely. You, you, you sort of say, okay, is that the thing that, you know, you, you, you're working for border protection or, or something and and you don't like what that agency or that part of the government's doing, then, then quit. Yeah, it, it doesn't absolve yourself from hypocrisy to be anonymously tweeting about tweeting, it. Tweeting, that's yeah. exactly yeah. right. Become a whistleblower. Send the stuff to the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Fine, but stop taking the salary. My, that's my view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be a little harsh about it, but, you know. But in relation yeah. to the private sector, um, ha, it, it's always going to be a matter for judgment, and as we all know, with the Fair Work Commission's involved, it can be hard to estimate exactly what judgment will be taken. Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, that some of the cases in the Fair Work Commission that deal with this sort of show that there is no hard and fast rule for when something um, an employee does post on social media, um, you know, when 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 is there a valid reason? Um, because they sort of, they go both ways for employer and then employee. Um, but was there, um, I think there was a case you were going to discuss, Helen? Recently, only last week, in Merkit versus Stay Safe Security, an employee was highly critical of the employer on Facebook um, saying things like you don't care for clients, you don't care for staff. It was um, held that there was a valid reason for dismissal, but the commission held that it was unfair given the length of service and the employee's medical condition. Was that that one in Adelaide? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, look, I don't think, just as I think that the High Court decision certainly is not a green light light for terminations to occur just because something's happened on social media. I don't think this one should be seen as a precedent that's okay to, uh, for an employee to tweet critically. 
I think that was a very specific circumstances of, a, of an illness and a relatively, you know, 14-year-long serving employee. And still I'm a little surprised because yeah. I think it was pretty bad, the tweet, and, you know. Yeah, and, and the commissioners have got significant discretion to factor in a lot of different details and, and, and quite often where, where there's something about the employer's conduct that's a little bit on the nose, that then, then quite often th- that can be one of the one of the determining factors, you know, certainly um, in, in that case when somebody's unwell and been a long-serving member of staff, you yeah. know, you, you really need to look at it. You can't just, there's no sort of absolute liability. You really need to look at We look can't at, assume there's a precedent. We don't know yeah. exactly what went on there, but all it could take in a case like that is to something, uh, in my experience, I'm not saying this happened at all in this case, but all it can take is something like a particularly uncompassionate approach from somebody within yeah. the organisation and next thing you know, the commission is determined to find it unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, it, sort of to contrast the the case that you just mentioned, Helen, um, there was another one in two thousand and thirteen, uh, Little and Credit Core Group, um, where uh, the, the the opposite finding was made by the commission, and that was that the dismissal um, was fair. Um, in in that matter, the employee uh, made comments on the Facebook page of a company who his employer. Um, had dealings with. Um, these included him joking uh, about welcoming a new male member of staff and um, sort of joking uh, about sort of sexual assault there, um, which is obviously highly inappropriate. Um, and then he also posted, um, you should put a little more of funding into educating consumers on how the world works rather than just weaseling them out of debt. Um, and so because of those comments that the Fair Work Commission held, um, the dismissal for serious misconduct was fair um, and made some sort of uh, fairly firm comments towards Mr Little saying that although he was entitled to his own opinions, uh, he was not entitled to disclose them to the world at large, where to do so would reflect poorly on his employer, uh, its reputation and viability. Well, I think just the, the sexual assault drugs by themselves... Enough. Yeah. Uh, or, or almost enough, aren't they? You know, depending on the context. I, I think and, that they would have been, and yeah. I think that's something else that you can see with the commission. Um, and I, it's completely understandable. But if you get into any sort of inappropriate sexual stuff, yeah, and I mean, you know, much more likely there's difference to lose between just, just criticism yeah. and critici- offensive criticism. Yeah. yeah, isn't that? Yeah, and I mean, in a way, I suppose the the, the two cases we've just discussed can be um, clearly um, they're they're quite distinct, I guess. Or sorry, made were distinguished um, because of, you know, the quite serious nature of a, a joke about sexual assault. assault. But I think there are others that definitely support your ability for, for, to um, be terminated in the event that you make something that damages your employer's interest. There was a case, remember, I think, where an employee made a comment around um, if that negative commentary towards the patrons in a restaurant and that type of thing, yeah. which have led to... Um, terminations being justified. Um. Yeah, so I mean, it's important as well to remember that uh, even if there, you know, the the conclusion has been reached that there is a valid reason um, because of a, an employee's social media posts, um, they're still entitled to procedural fairness, sort of in the the usual course. Um, so that means that they need to be notified of the the reason um, and then given an opportunity to respond, you know, before. Um, they're dismissed or anything like that. Um, so the High Court case last week um, 
Concare and Bernerchi, which we sort of keep coming back to, but um, that was unique in a way because um, the employee was making, um, well, the, the social media comments had a, a political aspect. Um, and we've heard a lot about the Israel Folau matter ongoing, um, and that had a, a religious aspect to it. Um, so, I mean, that's slightly different than just a, an unfair dismissal, isn't it, Brian? What, what, what are yeah, some well, of the considerations for employers there? Because it's a bit well, more I think high it, risk. It's a bit different in the sense that we we start looking at the actual lawfulness of decisions. I mean, where un, unfair dismissal looks at the sort of substantive fairness, then this unique high court case looked at, at this sort of implied freedom of political communication. Um, there's also the, the, you know, the general protections provisions and the related provision that unlawful termination provision that Israel Folau's suing under, which actually talk directly to the reasons why the employment has been terminated and whether that was lawful or not. And, and, and the position is that a decision will be unlawful if, it, if it's taken for a reason that includes a variety of protected attributes, such as you know gender, sexuality, national extraction, race... And, and some of those, the, the interesting ones, are, are political, um, social origin, political opinions, social origin, and, um, and religion. And, and we don't see many cases of them. I think the, the interesting thing about it is that it, it doesn't need to be the whole reason. It just needs to be part of, and it just needs to be a substantial and operative reason. I mean, the key case in, in, in this case, and a lot of them are to do with... Um, uh, the, the, the same protections extend to um, union association and as well as um, the exercise of workplace rights. But, but one of the key cases is um, is uh, Barclay and Bendigo Regional TAFE that was in the High Court as well, where um, an employee has sent an email which was, um, you know, highly critical of, of various things in relation to allegations of fraud by the employer, etc., now the the person was um, the employee was terminated and and the and contended that it was taken for reasons that included the association um, with the employee's union um, because the the email was sent in the capacity of him being a union representative. So um, the court in that and that's the seminal case really really discussed how much of a reason needs to be a substantial and operative reason and, and, and how much can you disaggregate reasons such as, okay, well, this email was clearly um, misconduct. It, it, it was connected with the, the union activity, but it wasn't the union activity that, that really um, actuated the decision of the employer. Um, and another really interesting case, and this, this is where, the, where I find the comparison with Falau, and I'll ask you what you think in a second, but uh, an employee held up a sign saying, you know, making reference to scabs, which was, um, which was clearly against the code of con- the, you know, the company's code of conduct. But he held the sign up while taking industrial action, and again was was terminated. And the question is, did the employer, when the employer has the onus of proving that they took the reason for a, um, took the action, took the action for a for a for a for reasons that didn't include the unlawful reason and to what extent do they need to disaggregate for the courts you know for the, for the in the performance of that onus or the discharge of the onus disaggregate the the lawful reason from the unlawful reason um and the high court held that that wasn't wasn't necessary in that case it was it was just the fact that scabs was inevitably as a word inevitably connected with union activity 
it was objectively offensive and could be disaggregated as a reason from the rest. Now, my my question with Israel Folau is is exactly that. I, I, I think there's very few people that, that wouldn't agree that the comments he made about you know homosexuality, atheism, drunkenness, all the rest of it were were sort of objectively offensive. But the extent to which they are the expression of a of a bona fide religious sentiment. Um, may make it hard for Rugby Australia to disaggregate. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, if you have any. I think disaggregation is always going to be extremely difficult and will depend on um, having evidence of the decision maker that is extremely robust on the disaggregation point and survives intense cross-examination. And that's not going to be easy to do. So as an employer going forward, what can you do um, to protect yourself or to put yourself in the best possible position, not just um, you know, to protect yourself in the event that someone does do social media posting, but to make sure that you can actually control the social media posting of your employees. And the first thing you need to do is you need to have a social media policy. You need to be very clear about what is and is not acceptable. Um, and you need to make sure people are trained in relation to it and absolutely understand what they can and cannot do because the best way to protect yourself from this is to not have employees making offensive posts. Yeah. Um, and make sure your social media policy is constitutional. And make sure your social media policy is reasonable and clear. Um, and uh, be very... Um, uh, unfortunately, a bit of the onus will lie on employers to educate employees a bit about social media. Some of the work that I've done in relation to training and so forth, it will often involve actually telling employees, by the way, private settings means nothing. By the way, your tweets can be retweeted. Your, what you put can be screenshot and shared. All that type of thing because and, there is a lot also, of views on that. you don't have an automatic personal right under Australian law to just be an ass on social media. That's well, the problem. Well, and, and one of the other big ones, and this is, is um, for anyone that's working in a professional marketing, any sort of context like this, one of the big ones is your um, tagging. If you don't trust your mates, make sure they can't tag you because the drunken tagged picture of you looking like a buffoon um, uh behaving drunkenly and sexually inappropriately on social media is not going to be good look for your job. No. <laughs> so protect yourself. Now, thanks for that. I just realised we didn't introduce ourselves at the beginning of our podcast. We did that deliberately because we don't want anyone to know who we are. So, <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> otherwise... That's right. <laughs> otherwise, next week, tune in to PCC Lawyers Employment Law Podcast. And, and thanks for listening again. <laughs>